Welcome back to another edition of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. I'm probably going to cough this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I'm just, I'm just so tired of being sick. I'm just so tired of it. But you, you live in a germ bubble. Or you go to work in a germ bubble. I'm just, I'm just so tired of it. <laughs> That's the whiny part of the episode today. This is episode 129. We're going to be talking about chapter 36 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, as I have to glance at the cover of the book to remember what the title of the book is. That's where my state of mind is right now, so you know. My state of mind's in a different book. I had to stop reading that book to pick up this book. Reading Fourth Wing again? Again, yes. The sequel comes out on Tuesday. I told you I heard some, overheard some teachers gushing about Fourth Wing mm-hmm. just in the hallway the other day to each other, not to me or anything. And just, I just, I all I heard was the new, the new one's coming out in a couple weeks, and I got to read the fourth one again. It was like the best book I've read in the last ten years. <laughs> Is it that good? Even Catherine last night was like. I haven't read a book as good as for this book since I read this book. Because <laughs> she's reading it again. I haven't read a book as good as this book since I read this book. Yeah. So since she read it the first time, back in June. Catherine's all, always had a way with words. All the other books have just not, just not held up. Some would call her the Shakespeare of her time. Yes. I totally get it. Totally understand. Well, you're also insane, though. So, you guys speak your own little language, and you don't in, let, in our you, own little private. And chat. you don't let me in on the group chat either. <laughs> you're in the Jackbox chat with everybody, but Kelly didn't like hearing all the 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 book chatter, so we took it to a different chat. Yeah, Kelly's a very anti-books. She's a book burner. She's not anti-books. She's just she went to that book burning rally in Central Park. Only Harry Potter books. Here's a couple other books. For the record, Kelly was not that we know of at any book burning rallies. She wasn't. You, you see how I don't even acknowledge your nonsense sometimes because it's just so much nonsense. Well, if you don't acknowledge my nonsense, how's this podcast going to work? <laughs> it's worked so far. I throw out the nonsense. You acknowledge it. It depends on the, non- the level a- of and nonsense. And then an hour later, we're done. Yeah. Last time we talked about chapter 35, which was Beyond the Veil. I'll do a quick recap. We had a dozen Death Eaters with Harry, Ron, Hermione, Neville, Jenny, and Luna in the Department of Mysteries. And these Death Eaters want the glowing orb that Harry has, which Lucius Malfoy refers to as the prophecy. 
Apparently, this prophecy holds the answers to a lot of the questions that Harry has had for a long time. Our heroes temporarily escape, but Hermione gets stunned, Neville gets his face kicked in, Ron gets attacked by a fish tank full of brains, Luna gets knocked out, and Jenny gets her leg broken. Uh, Harry fights a baby-headed man, Neville gets his wand broken, Harry does uh, a lot of spells other than Expelliarmus. Uh, the death, no other ones. death Eaters are closing in. When the Order of the Phoenix shows up, Neville stabs some dude in the eye with Hermione's wand. The prophecy gets broken during the fight. Our heroes are losing the battle when Dumbledore shows up, but even Dumbledore can't help Sirius as Bellatrix stuns Sirius, who falls behind the veil apparently to his death. Apparently to his death. Chapter 36 today is called The Only One He Ever Feared. And Harry, apparently not being able to reconcile the death of Sirius, is refusing to leave the room that has the arch and the dais. And is it dais or dais? I know dais. Dais. And multiple is dioceses. Yeah, I think that's correct. Arch, dais, and veil. Convinced that Sirius is not, in fact, dead. And this is based on... Harry's experiences with this room from a couple of chapters ago? Yeah, just, just a few minutes ago. He's an expert. Yeah. It's like, I heard voices in here. He can't be dead. He's just hiding. I heard just like, like voices else. like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, like those other people. You They're don't understand hiding. magic like I do. Apparently. In the battle, or in the chaos of the battle, rather, Bellatrix sees an opportunity to escape and takes it. And Harry... I guess accepting the news of Sirius's death at the hands of Bellatrix sees an opportunity to chase her down. And Harry's seeing red, isn't he? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I like murder, <laughs> as my niece would say. Yeah, murder is okay. Harry's ready to just murder her. He thinks he is. He's not. <laughs> it's like when I think I'm ready to like try a new food. And then when it gets time to like try it, I'm like, ah, I don't know if yeah, I can pull the trigger. No. I, I just have some Doritos instead. We tried new Doritos recently. Oh god, they're so hot! <laughs> Flaming hot Cool Ranch. They taste so good. They got so much flavor to them. I can eat about six, and I'm done. I uh, I don't have a very uh, high constitution for. I like hot things. I just can't don't handle them very well. Like, I, don't, I, don't I immediately like had heartburn. <laughs> like, immediately. <laughs> like, as soon as I ate those chips. So, there's a moment when Harry is chasing Bellatrix through the, the spinny door room when Harry says out loud, Where's the exit? Where's the way out? And the appropriate door opens. And the room's just like, Oh, sure. If you ask, I'll help you. Is that how it works? Do the doors, like, respond to what the user wants? Or is this just a coincidence? I think that it responded. I don't know if it responded because he said it so forcefully or they just didn't think to ask that before. Uh -huh. You should always ask the door first. Yeah. Like, if you don't have the key to it, just ask. Just ask. You never what's, know. What's it going to hurt? What's it going to say no? What's the worst thing happened? Mm -hmm. says no. I agree. Uh, there's a moment when Bellatrix seems to be able to escape but turns back because she realizes that it's just Harry chasing her. And Bellatrix sees this as an opportunity to take Harry off the board. And in this battle, Harry uses Crucio 
the torturing curse on Bellatrix, which is one of the three unforgivable curses, and apparently if you use those, you go to Azkaban for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who do that don't. A lot of people fall through the cracks on that one, but yes, I think that's the theory. I mean, just like the legal system. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of criminals fall through the cracks. Yeah. Some of them go to prison when they don't deserve it. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't get everything right. It's the same issues There's in the wizarding world. There's bound to be a certain percentage of mistakes in the legal system. So, in the, in this battle, Harry uses Crucio, but it doesn't have much of an effect. No. So is this really because of the reason Bellatrix says? She says you have to want to cause pain. You have to enjoy it. Yeah, you have to really mean it. Like, even your everyday spells, you have to have the intent behind it. You have to mean it. Uh, this actually came up on Halloween when we were dressed as the Quidditch players at the library. And mm -hmm. I took, like, uh, we, I took my wand and... Chester had his had his wand, and I don't know. I was being sassy, and he said, "Don't make me use an unforgivable curse on you." He was teasing, and I said, "You're a puff. You wouldn't mean it. It wouldn't work." Oh. <laughs> so I totally referenced this just the other day. Gotcha. Halloween, the celebration of Samhain, the ancient Celtic festival celebrating the harvest and murder and murder. <laughs> And candy. Candy. Candy murder. What? Yeah, you do eat the candy. You murder the candy. Mm hmm. Oh, that So many peanuts were murdered to create the Reese's peanut butter cups mm -hmm. that we ingest on this most unholy of days. But she does scream at the beginning. So he. He did. Something. Something. But, and also it was his first time using it, so he probably didn't know how it worked. But, um, yeah, he just didn't really have the skill and or the actual intent. So is it kind of like when you cast a Patronus charm, you have to have like a very powerful, positive memory mm -hmm. behind it or it doesn't work? In order to like fuel it, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, Bellatrix goes into a panicked frenzy here when Harry tells her that the prophecy was smashed, smashed, sorry, and Bellatrix is extra upset because now Voldemort is here. So I have a few questions for you. Yes. We mentioned the fact that Voldemort couldn't possibly go get his own prophecy earlier. Yeah, couldn't possibly. On uh, either last episode or the one before. Here are your questions. Answer, feel free to answer them in any order you wish. Okay. How did Voldemort get in? The phone booth. And if it was through the telephone booth, <laughs> did he have to state his business? Yeah, I'm sure he did. And if he did, what did his visitor's badge say? Here to retrieve the prophecy, because my dumb crony... Uh, Goons couldn't do it themselves from and, a bunch of children. And I probably said all of that. So we've established that there is a badge. There was a badge handed out to him. 
Is he wearing that badge? Absolutely not. Okay. Just clashes with his outfit. He just, he wouldn't conform He's to too, that. He's too goth for that. Mm-hmm. For a hello, my name is Lord Voldemort mm-hmm. badge. It probably put Tom Riddle on there because it knows it's real name, and then he just couldn't. I want like, security uh, cam no. vi- I want a security cam video of Voldemort going into the phone booth and like dialing in number. State your business. <laughs> and then he just down the elevator really slow. Got his name badge. He's I'm not wearing this. Throws it out. That's what I want to see. I want to see the. Uh, the deleted scene of that. Uh, just like I got Goosebumps last chapter when Dumbledore showed up, I got them again when Voldemort sees Dumbledore as Dumbledore comes in to save Harry's bacon. You kind, I kind of just like when Voldemort is... And there was even the part where Bellatrix was kind of trying to... Hey, Voldemort like was trying to tell him that Dumbledore's downstairs. Mm-hmm. And that kind of takes us back to the namesake of the chapter here, the only one he ever feared. Bellatrix knows that Voldemort doesn't want to have anything to do with Dumbledore. Yeah. And is trying against everything to try to inform Voldemort that Dumbledore is in fact here and that they probably need to get out of here. But when Voldemort actually acknowledges that Dumbledore was there, that was, I thought that was a really cool moment. Uh, we get the main event battle of Dumbledore versus Voldemort. Uh, what were some of the highlights for you with this battle? That uh, they destroyed the really like racist statue. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dumbledore did. He mm-hmm. used it. I think that was. I mean, it was there, so it was handy to use. But it was also like, mm, I've always hated this thing. Yeah. I'm gonna take it down. You have to take advantage of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to, uh, in the heat of the battle, use that opportunity in order to destroy something that you never liked in the first place. Make, and, a, make and, a political statement. Right. Call it an accident. Whoopsie. Oops. Magic. And Fudge is very upset about his statue. <laughs> he was like, what happened to this statue? Yeah, he, the fountain. he acknowledges the fact that, indeed, the Dark Lord is back later in the chapter, but in mid-sentence... <laughs> Oh, the fountains of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, no. There are four pressing matters. Yes. More important. Make sure we have that uh, statue that puts everybody in their place. Can you explain the uh, demonic possession moment to me where Voldemort is speaking through Harry's body? Not really. Like... Is it just like the connection that they have through the scar? Like that? What yeah, happened here? I assumed it was the connection. It kind of reminded me of that scene in uh, Independence Day where they go down into Area 51 and they got the alien. <laughs> and the alien is like controlling the guy's vocal yeah, cords. Yeah, <laughs> tentacle. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically that. It was basically that. Yeah. But this, like, demonic possession was, I mean, to the point where Harry was saying, like, just kill me. This, like, hurts so bad. This is the worst. And they even mentioned that earlier in the chapter. Dumbledore says there are things worse than death. And Voldemort kind of throws that back in his face with this. 
And Harry's like, just, just end both of us. I'm just, I just want this to be over. This hurts so bad. But it was a positive thought. He was thinking about, oh, you know, if I die, I get to see Sirius again. Mm-hmm. That freed Harry from this possession, right? Yeah, Dumbledore doesn't like or Dumbledore. Uh, Voldemort doesn't like feelings. Yeah, he doesn't understand feelings. Yeah, he's like like our dog Nightwing. <laughs> doesn't understand his doesn't feelings. understand his feelings. Doesn't well. Voldemort has worked very hard not to have any feelings, so that when other people are having feelings, he doesn't understand or like it and doesn't want to be a part of it. So that kind of ties back to what we were talking about before. With magic, is not just about like casting spells. There has to be like emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. Like the Patronus doesn't work without emotion. Apparently, uh, the unforgivable curses don't work without the the feeling and the drive and the emotion behind them. And the only the only uh, the fact that Harry is alive even was because of the love that his mom showed in sacrificing herself mm-hmm. for him. With love being like the biggest emotion of all. So that really ties that, you know, that tells me a couple of things. Positive and negative emotions are very powerful in the wizarding world. And emotions and having a strong connection to them are essential to pulling off a lot of the spells and being a proficient witch or wizard. Uh, the other thing that that little statement Harry said about, I get to see Sirius again. And it kind of probably flew under the radar, but I want—I put it in my notes because I thought it was interesting. Harry believes Sirius to be dead, and Harry believes that if he dies, he will get to see Sirius again. So this really kind of brings in like a religious belief, yes, almost. Like in a religious belief in the existence of an afterlife or heaven, if you want to say that. That you don't get a lot of in these books. Like, no. the the only things that popped into my head was, we know the school celebrates Christmas, which is a religious holiday. You know, it's got Christ in the title. Mm-hmm. But what role do you think religion plays, like, overall in the wizarding world? Is it just like the muggle world where there's just, you know, ev- people from different parts of the world have different religions? I Because a lot of people, and it's it's funny because... That's part of the reason why these books get banned sometimes. Yeah. It's because people say, well, it's like, it's all about it's witchcraft, witchcraft and Wiccan and it's, it's anti-Christianity. If you look at the little subtexts of some of the things in this book, the fact that they celebrate Christmas, the fact that Harry obviously believes in some sort of afterlife, no matter what, it, whether it's, you know, Christianity or reincarnation or, you know, whatever kind of afterlife. He obviously believes that because he said it, that he would, I believe Sirius is dead and if I die, I'll get to see him again. Is it just like the muggle world where we've got all these different religions and it just depends on like what part of the world you're from? Does, is religion like a a big thing in the wizarding community? Because if you believe all the book banners, you can't possibly have a religion or believe in religion if you believe in witchcraft and wizardry. Um, so, I don't know. The fact that the school celebrates Christmas, I don't think... 
don't think that's a defining quality because, like, you know, the, the schools here, we get Christmas break. Although, like, they, they started calling it winter break yeah. instead. Like, they've kind of changed it up a little bit. Um, but it's still Christmas break. We mm. still put up a Christmas tree at the school. Mm-hmm. We still, those teachers still put Christmas lights up and decorate the rooms and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And read books with Santa, Santa in, in it and, and whatever. Yeah. So, I'm not sure that you could really tie. There's just so much about Christmas that, and I know you said that's Christ's name, but there's so much about Christmas that isn't Christmas. Well, they need to call it something else. Then. Like, <laughs> everybody celebrates, not everybody, but a lot of people celebrate Christmas, but not necessarily the birth of Christ. Yeah. It's almost become two different things mm-hmm. or two different levels of it. You, you, cause even the people who do the birth of Christ do celebrate Christmas, Christmas, the way everybody does. I don't know. Like you're saying, I can't say it because there's two, not two different words for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Santa night and Jesus yeah. night. Yeah, there's always like of, the. The people that do the Xmas thing, mm-hmm. you know, to try to kind of differentiate, you know, kind of separate the the religious aspect from just like the the community family aspect of Christmas. But I would think there there aren't a lot, there are hardly any references to religion in the Wizarding World. We do know that there are lots of little fairy tales, folklore about uh, especially the um, the three brothers where death comes and it's more like the Grim Reaper than like the devil. And so they, I don't feel like they have like a Christianity religion mm-hmm. in the wizarding world. But then you've got all like the muggle-borns or the ones that have like a dual household where it's a wizard and a muggle. Mm-hmm. So I think more Harry's comes from the fact that he was not muggle-born but he lived as a muggle for most of his life. So he would have those religious mm-hmm. qualities instilled in him. And I wonder I how that like changes as he gets older. We know we've talked about how when kids get older they get more independent, especially when they go away to college, they're mm-hmm. exposed to people from all around the world, different cultures, different religions. And this is sort of like college mm-hmm. because you go away to school and you're there and you're with your peers learning from them. I just think that there's there's got to be a faction within the wizarding world that has similar religious beliefs to people that are in the muggle world. They're just just by the sheer numbers there has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the muggle world has people that that are wiccan and you know believe in even they might not have ever seen it, but they believe in it. Mm-hmm. You would think there would have to be the the yin and yang of that to the, the wizarding world as yeah. well. Well, that's what I mean. It's like the muggle-borns or the people, the witches and wizards who marry muggles, it, it bleeds in. Mm-hmm. And then just like you said, wherever they're at, whatever the religion is in that area or where they're from or whatever would influence which religion kind of trickles in. I think it's funny that they kind of borrowed Christmas from the from the muggle world and like you said it kind of bleeds into the wizarding world but like the internet hasn't bled into the the wizarding world like some things that would be like really helpful like in the wizarding world like we could get wi-fi at hogwarts that'd be great it'd be great you know we could get tablets for all the kids they wouldn't have to carry around all these books all the time all the quills and the ink pots yeah it's just 
We can't even get up ballpoint pens, babe. You're asking for the internet. We don't even have ballpoint pens. Yeah. I like I I just feel like I could go in there and kind of streamline things, you know, quite a bit. Probably save them a lot of money, a lot of overhead. You know, they burn a lot of so many candles too. Where are they getting all these candles from? Like can we just get like some electricity in there? No AC? They don't got no AC no in AC, there? No no heat, just fires. Oh my goodness. It's a castle. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I could help. I think they could reach out to me. I, I don't think they have... Broomsticks.butterbeer uh, at gmail.com. They don't have it in that area. Don't have what? Email? Internet. <laughs> internet. But, like, we've got satellites now. We could get them internet wherever they want. No, that's not how it works. Okay. Well, if you know how it works, send us an email, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. <laughs> you know how what works? Anything. 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 Uh, let's see here. As the battle ends and Voldemort and Bellatrix escape, Cornelius Fudge and a bunch of other ministry bigwigs pop up through the fireplaces in the ministry. Finally, those alarms are going off somewhere that they need to come and deal with the intruders. So all these, uh... Important people came in through the the flu network, yeah. right? Yeah. So the, could the kids have just traveled there through the flu network? They could have, but the only fireplace that was still connected was Umbridge's. Mm-hmm. And the last time they snuck into Umbridge's office, that didn't go so Yeah, but they would it wouldn't have had to worry about it because they could have just psh, gone right through. It's not like they had to hang out for a long time. I was just wondering because we said that Umbridge was monitoring the flu network. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that's like always monitored at at the ministry. They obviously don't monitor the telephone booth 24 hours a day because no. anybody can just come Anyone. and go as they please. Could you imagine just like being able to just go into a bank anytime you want? Now granted, you wouldn't be able to get into the safe or anything like that because you don't know the combination, but the doors are open. 24 hours a day. You could yeah, go in there and just there and hang, hang out, out, do whatever you want. Take a nap. Take a nap. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like a, a very good system of security that they've got at the ministry. And I thought it was funny that Fudge kind of goes, Here? In the ministry? Yeah, dude. Anybody can come and go as they please. You even give them a, a name badge and permission to go in. You have to know the code on the phone. Which... Everybody so seemingly they don't change knows. Very often. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't ever. It's the same code. Been the same code for forty years, probably. One, two, three, four, five. It's a spaceballs reference for you. Yeah. Mark it on your bingo okay. cards. You didn't respond to it, so I was wondering. You just didn't think it was funny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, either way, Fudge is flabbergasted that Voldemort is actually back, and Dumbledore kind of knows he's in a position of power here, and he holds all the cards. So Dumbledore starts making his demands. Remove Umbridge from Hogwarts, call off the hunt for Hagrid, reinstall Dumbledore as headmaster, don't send your, your, uh, stormtroopers after me, because I'm just going to handle them like I did last time. The fact that Fudge sees that Voldemort, he saw Voldemort, saw him in the ministry, 
saw Bellatrix, saw all of this. And then his knee-jerk reaction is still to seize him to Dumbledore. What? <laughs> well, that's been his mindset for almost a year. But he saw that the worst guy ever is back. And yeah. he still wants to arrest Dumbledore. He's still like, calculate this. Is there a way that he can still save face? Because he was wrong. And now everybody's going to know he was wrong. Can we... Like, he just... He wasn't ready to let it go. He's the worst. God, he sucks. Don't they it, always put those guys in power? So bad. Uh, Dumbledore port keys with Harry back to Hogwarts. Uh, how are the other kids going to get back? I don't know. He left that up to the rest of the order. Are the other Death Eaters still trapped in the basement? Yeah, he Dumbledore said that. He said okay. that they're tied up with a uh, where they can't. They can't get away, apparently. And how are the Thestrals going to get back? Because are they just going to wander around London for the rest of their lives? No, they, they never go home. The, do they? Yeah. Do they? Because they were just eating garbage last time we they were, left they them alone. They just flew a long way. They needed a snack. They don't have organs or anything. Or they're just bones, right? What? Do they need... <laughs> Well, what? There we go. Uh, and that's the end of chapter, what is this, 36. The only one he ever feared. We only You say we only got a couple chapters left? Two. Nice. Two. One's really long. And the other one's not <sighs> as long. Of course it is. So we have two more chapters. Uh, we got an email. An email. Want to hear it? Yeah. Uh, this one's from Skippy John Jones. Hi, Skippy John Jones. Uh, says, hi, Dan and Jess. I'm loving the podcast, and I love your recent discussion on villains and how they should be sorted into Hogwarts houses. Digging a little deeper into your discussion, what, in your opinion, makes a good villain? What traits separate a forgettable villain from an unforgettable one? Keep up the great work. Aw, thanks. Thanks, Skippy. Jess, what makes a good villain? You read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. I really like books that like tell both sides of the story um this isn't exactly an answer to the question but a step further i've read several books that have like dual points of view and one person's on one side of the issue and one person's on the other side of the issue and when you're reading from that person's point of view you're like oh yeah you know you're right you're right you shouldn't have to put up with that and then you share the chapter changes and you're in the other person's point of view and you're like, oh my gosh, you know what? You're right. You shouldn't have to put up with that either. They did what? And I like that seeing both sides. And in books like that, you kind of learn that really no one's the villain. It's the situation and the miscommunication and the, you know, that whole eye for an eye thing. Like somebody did something and so somebody has to do something else that's even worse and it just keeps escalating. But same thing with villains. I like to have a good, solid backstory, a good reason why they feel the way they do. I like to to see why they think that they're right and that they're doing the right thing or they're justified in their actions. They ha That has way more conviction than just somebody who, I'm going to be mean today. Mm-hmm. Like some of the kids at school. Yeah. 
They're just, they just pick somebody and decide to pick on them. Well, and, why? And why so, are you doing this? And sometimes, I don't know. sometimes there is a a backstory to these kids at school and why they are the way that they are. And sometimes they're just jerks. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that, like you, just being crazy for the sake of being crazy. Like I was talking to you yesterday about. The Joker, and a lot of people see the Joker as like the greatest comic book villain villain of all time. And I like the character. There's no way that he's the greatest comic book villain of all time. And they even said that in the uh, the Dark Knight movie. You know, Heath Ledger's Joker, which a lot of people see as like the preeminent uh, portrayal of the of the Joker character. He's got that big pile of money and he just lights it on fire. Yeah. Because he's not motivated by that. But you don't really know what he's motivated by. He's not motivated by that. I think Alfred even says later in the the movie, some people just want to see the world burn. So that's just being evil just for the sake of being evil. Even with that, there's got to be a reason. Right. Like, I want to see the world burn because this happened to mm-hmm. me. Because I've been kicked down and knocked down repeatedly. The world isn't worth saving. Mm-hmm. The world doesn't deserve to go on. I want to burn it down. There's still got to be a reason. You see a little bit more of that. Um, and I don't think you saw this version, the the, the new Joker movie that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Todd Phillips Joker movie where Joaquin Phoenix plays him. You do get to see a little bit more of... Like, at least that version of Joker's backstory. And you kind of see, like, how the world's kind of treated him like garbage. Mm-hmm. And how the city, how, like, the rich people in the city have all of the power. And the the downtrodden people in the city just keep, things just keep getting worse for them. And he kind of wants to flip the balance of power there. That's a little bit more than just being... You know, psycho. I fell into some chemicals and I'm crazy now. Yeah. You know? And I get that there is a certain level of. Like, it induces a certain level of fear because you don't know why and you can't predict. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, there's no logic here. He's just going to hurt everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, even hurts his own people. Mm Kind of like how Voldemort does. Like, he will punish his own followers. And that. That unpredictability does cause a level of fear. Mm-hmm. But it just falls flat for me if there's no reason why. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't doesn't make sense. I actually threw this out to uh, the girls, Catherine and Jane and Kelly and Anastasia. On the group chat that you're on. On the group chat that I'm actually allowed to participate in. <laughs> and, you know, Jane, of course, the odd... Odd one out. Yeah. <laughs> and she acknowledges that. She messes up our algorithms. Uh, for Jane, she kind of just says she just wants it to be very black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, she just wants her villains to be selfish. She wants them to be cruel. She said, I don't want to know. I don't want to feel sorry for them. I don't want to know. I don't want to humanize them. I don't want to go into the, the backstory of them. And, you know, I think that's different from the way you and I feel, though. Which is, you know, it's fine. You can like what you like. 
But for me, I think that a, a good villain has to be driven. They have to be. They have to be driven by something. Uh, I can't just be that I. I I'm just bad and I'm going to do bad things because I. I like hurting people's fun. You know. I think they have to be driven by something. I think also think they have to be a good villain has to be a, a worthy opponent. You know, like you see, like some of the bad guys in in movies or comic books, and they get beaten down like really quick. You know, Spider-Man takes them out in like two panels. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not a, a good villain because they're not a worthy opponent. I think that with Superman, it's hard because who's the first villain you think of when you think of Superman? Lex Luthor? Yes. But Lex Luthor's just a dude. Just, just a rich dude. He's just a rich dude. Pan and super, rich dude. if Superman wanted to go to his house right now and just flick him on the forehead he could you know take his head clean off his body if he wanted to but it's like the that's why i think it's hard for like superman to have a good villain and that's why i think it's hard for superman to have good stories because he's too strong yeah and the only way that you can make make a good villain for him somebody who's up to his level is like well they just got to be just as strong as he is but what's their drive like what's their what's their reason for for chaos? Like when Doomsday killed Superman in that comic that came out in like nineteen ninety three or four or whatever, he was just like this mindless creature. That's, to me, that's not a good villain. No. You know, I think that there has to be, and you do get to learn more like the back of his backstory, but he's still just like this mindless beast who just gets stronger every time he fights something. And to me, there's that's yes, he's strong but there's no drive there and there's no reason for for doing what he's doing uh you and i yesterday talked about magneto from x-men and how i think he's an amazing villain because he believes he honestly believes what he's doing is the best thing for his people yes and in the movies you get to see the backstory of uh you know, he was a, a Jewish kid during the Holocaust. His parents were taken away uh, from him at the concentration camp and presumably killed. And that's when he first, like, manifests his powers when he's, like, got all these emotions running through him. And, you know, he spends a lot of his younger years in a concentration camp. And then he's persecuted for being Jewish. And then he's persecuted again for being a mutant. And he kind of just wants the world to leave him alone mm -hmm. but the world keeps pushing and pushing and pushing on him with these different levels of prejudice and then it gets to the point where he still doesn't want to destroy the world he just believes that mutants and humans should be able to, or mutants have every just as much right if not more than humans to live on this planet and he's tired of the way that he's being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And then his people are being discriminated against. People, his people are being assaulted and being killed just because they're different. And he's driven by this need to want to protect his people and prevent what happened to him when he was younger to happening to them. And then the X-Men are kind of the, the other side of that. Well, yeah, we believe that we should go, coexist, but we can't go about it that way. Yeah, he want, Magneto wants to force the issue. 
use force to do it. Like, no, we're mm-hmm. here, we're better than you, mm-hmm. and you need to accept us for who we are. Like, why should or like else. you said something yesterday? Why should we be scared of them? They should be scared of us. Yes. Where Charles was always more, no, we're making progress. We need to do this peacefully so that we can coexist. It's really there's and those books came out in the sixties, right around the the time of the civil rights movement where you had Martin Luther King on one side who was all about, you know, peaceful protests and then you had Malcolm X on the other side where his he would say by any means necessary and he was more of like the militant uh leader of the of the civil rights movement. You had these two these two prominent men who both wanted the same thing went about it in different ways and were both at, were both assassinated for it you know believed that the the thing the same result could happen but went two different ways about you know doing it and you could see both sides of the story uh you and I yesterday talked about Thanos with snapping away in the movies snapping away literally half of the living things in the universe but he's not just doing that just to be evil. evil. In the comic books, he kind of is. And because he was in love with the personification of death. It was like a female personification of death. And he wanted to impress her. And that what better way to impress death than by killing a bunch of people. But in the movies, I thought they did a really good job of saying, look what we've done to this world. We've overpopulated it. We've overused the resources. We're not taking care of it. We need... This universe is not going to be here if we keep on this trajectory. Mm-hmm. So his solution is to take away half of the living things. But that's because it, that's what happened to his planet. Right. His planet ran itself into the ground, mm-hmm. into destruction. Brought, right. They brought about their own destruction. So he is trying to prevent that in other worlds. And it's a Which hor- makes sense. It it does the the theory makes sense. He's just going about it in a horrible way. Yes. <laughs> but you mentioned something when we were talking about this again. Is he's not like discriminating? Yeah. At least he's not discriminating. He's not like, oh, this group of people is worthy of living. This group. Yeah. Isn't. All the he, people from this planet. You know, he's we're kind of eliminate. at least making it a random thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a hate-driven thing. Right. But he is driven, and that's and that's, I think, and he is obviously a worthy opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that those are two of the big components of what make a good villain. I think you you've got to have a little bit of that backstory. I think Catherine said she likes the backstory, but she doesn't like to know it too early. I guess she wants to build up that hate before they put a little humanity into the into the villain because I don't want to be rooting for the villain the the whole book. Could that make a potentially good villain not as powerful if you know if you feel you know uh, an emotional attachment to him too early, and then you're kind of rooting for the villain throughout the book. Um, I don't know if you root for him, though, if he truly is doing things that are appalling. You know, mm-hmm. yes, you can get behind the logic of why he thinks this way. But like we said, the key difference here is they're going about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. 
they're hurting people, they're destroying things, they're, they're just going about it all the wrong way. And I think then you have to have a good hero who's showing you the right way to do it. And then that makes it very easy to who you're going to root for. On the other side of that, you mentioned you have to have a good hero. Is a good hero... We've talked about the characters in this book. Every one of them has their flaws. And I think that's why the characters in this book, most of them are so well written. There are a few characters that are just kind of blasé. But most of the characters in this book are very well written because they do have their flaws. And we're going to learn more about those flaws as we get you know, into the final couple of books here. Does a, does a good hero have to be flawed? Or can it just be like, a goody two shoes. Like Superman is kind of like the, the, the they even call him like a, a boy wor- scout. You know, the world's biggest boy scout. He's kinda like the personification of like goody two shoes. Not really not really a lot of flaws there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why they had to come up with Kryptonite, you know, something that could hurt him because he doesn't even have like physical flaws. Like he's just perfect. And for me that's why there's always been kind of like a little bit of a disconnect. That's why I've always kind of lean more toward Batman because of how flawed he is you know emotionally and mentally and you know his his backstory and the the drive that he has does a character have to be flawed for it to be a a good hero yes I mean you have to have some emotional internal journey that the hero goes through on during the story Mm -hmm. there's the physical journey and there's the emotional journey they have to evolve as a character they have to learn something they have to change they have to figure out what their flaw is their mistake otherwise yeah it's just superman flying around being perfect have you read any books like that you can think of not super recently maybe in the last five years where the hero was just not quite as good as they could have been maybe because they were a little too perfect or you only read top tier <laughs> books where ev- read, every so well written stuff um well but that is kind of true i read ya and ya market is completely flooded right now and you really have to have something special if if you're going to get published mm-hmm. because everyone wants to be in that genre mm-hmm. um Sometimes I can't think of any off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Because you only read top tier tomes. Top tier best authors. Triple T top tier tomes by Jessica Rhino. Yes, I I can't think of anything. But I just wanted to go back to so like if in X Men the story was just about Magneto, I feel like. Most people could kind of get behind what he was saying and what he's preaching. And, oh, yeah, those are all injustices that people shouldn't have Mm -hmm. to suffer. And we should do something about it. I feel like it would be really easy to get people on board. Yeah. Except it's not just about Magneto. You have Xavier in there. And he's showing you more of the right way. He still messes up and does things that aren't great. But he's trying to do it the right way. Like, I feel like if he wasn't there to show you and you were just reading about this guy, Magneto, you'd be, you could get fired up and you could get behind what he's, his message, what he's mm-hmm. saying. 
Because it isn't right to, you know, discriminate against a group of people and all that. His message wasn't wrong. Now, if you go start following him and he starts murdering a bunch of people, you might have second thoughts. But it'd be really easy to get behind his message and support him mm -hmm. if you didn't have the other side of the coin right there showing you the right way to do it. So that's just why the heroes are so important. I think it's a great conversation, and we appreciate the email. You can send us your emails, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. Uh, you, you can send us messages on X Ooh. at Not Broomsticks. At Broomsticks B. I think it has to be if it's on X. When it was on Twitter and we would tweet, 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 tweet each it other. Cute. It was kind of cute. Now it's aggressive. Because we got Elon Musk that owns it. And he's a big strong man. So now it's all monster trucks and <laughs> scantily clad women. Yeah. X. At Broomsticks B on X. Uh, you can send us messages on there. Instagram at Broomsticks B Podcast, I believe. On Insta. I don't know how Instagram works, but Jess kind of does. So you can send her messages on there. Uh, Facebook, Broomsticks and Butterbeer as well. And uh, we appreciate everybody downloading, listening, and subscribing as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, special thanks to Jennifer, Catherine, Luke, Amelia, Jane, Ronnie, Anastasia, Kelly, and Olivia, a.k.a. the inner circle here at Broomsticks and Butterbeer. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode, unless you want to add anything. Nope. I got, I got to get back to Fourth Wing and, and the book girls chat that's been going off since we've been been chatting here. Well, we apologize that we're trying to bring podcast gold to you and she can't <laughs> respond to your chat right now. But... We appreciate everybody downloading, listening, and subscribing, like I said. Until next time, be a wizard, be a witch, be a muggle, be a squib, but don't be a jerk. Forget. Bye. Bye. I got some magic in me. Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold.